Romans 11, uh, 11 to 32, what a passage. We won't have time to do justice to the richness of it today, but I want to leave you with some takeaways which I trust will be transformative. So let's pray as we commence. Lord, speak to us through your word. Open up the glory of the gospel and of Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love the word Gentiles. Now, there was a time when I didn't know what it meant. It's a funny word, isn't it? Gentiles. And then I came to realise that I am a Gentile. Why? Because I am not Jewish. I am not from the nation of Israel. The whole world, all the nations, consist of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are defined by way of contrast to those who are Jewish. From around the world, from all the nations, from countries such as, or people groups such as Australians, Fijians, Japanese, Pakistani, from Great Britain, Swedish, Mongolian, Gentiles are defined as against Jews. And here is a biblical way, and certainly in Romans, Paul's way, of thinking about the whole world, Jews and Gentiles, Israel, all the other nations. It's a big, encompassing understanding, Jews, Gentiles. And throughout the book of Romans, uh, this distinction and this relationship has been used often. Romans 1.16, thematically, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Romans 3.9, Paul says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Uh, Romans 10, 12 and 13, uh, text that some have been memorising, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew and Gentile. We all observe the world through different lenses or different glasses. We gaze on life historically, economically, scientifically, through entertainment lenses, through sporting interests. There's all sorts of ways that we think broadly about the world and what's important. We understand history in terms of eras, the Enlightenment, the scientific revolution, whatever post-modernity. But the scriptures, and certainly Paul in the book of Romans, gazes on the world and makes sense of the world in terms of Jews and Gentiles. And I want to recommend that along with these others, we do likewise. Jews and Gentiles is one way God describes all the nations, all the people groups, the world. Get some maps, get a globe, understand the world in terms of Jews and Gentiles. In Romans 11, 11, as this passage commences, the question that births the passage, along with the same question asked in 11.1, 1, did they, did Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery. 
And Paul's answer is, not at all. Has Israel been rejected? Has God turned his back on his covenant people? Paul's answer in 11.1 and 11.11 is a robust, certainly not. Israel is not forgotten. Israel is not excluded. And in this passage from 11.11 to 32, we have one of the finest and most profound discussions and teachings about Israel. Paul is moving towards an outburst of praise in 11.33 to 36. And we'll hear about that next week. But he has moved from grief and lament to an outburst, an exhilarating outburst of praise. And this passage precedes that outburst of praise. This is an exciting passage. For Paul, there are two things that are on his mind. One of them is global and future, and one of them is local and now. Let me summarize them quickly. Global and future, it is God's revelation concerning Israel that Israel's ongoing privileges are real and future fullness is guaranteed. Global, Israel, Paul is excited about Israel's future. Local and now, Paul's heart is for the church, local churches, the small home churches in Rome and other places. And Paul's longing and teaching and expectation is that the churches will be diverse but unified, welcoming, full of greeting, breaking down old barriers, ending ancient hostilities, humble, grateful communities. For Paul, there is nothing else like the church as it lives out the beauty of the gospel. What a challenge, what an opportunity, what a witness. That's exciting for Paul in the local, in the now, particularly as he thinks about the church in Rome with its challenges. So I want to think about the passage with three groupings of text, 11, 11 to 15 and 25, 26, the coming fullness of Israel, first of all, then 11, 16 to 24, 27 to 32, the continued privileges of Israel, and in like manner, 11, 16 to 24, 27 to 32, the required humility of Gentiles. I hope you've got the outline in front of you. What do we have to say about the coming fullness of Israel? What does Paul teach? Paul understands that Israel's failure, its loss, its apparent rejection, the partial and temporary hardening of Israel has, in God's wonderful purposes, brought riches to the world. Um, in chapter 11, verse 12, uh, Paul uses the word riches three times. Uh, let me read it. If their trespass, Israel's trespass, means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Riches, more riches to the world. The good news has gone out to the world. Blessings have spread everywhere through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And in God's remarkable purposes, Israel's failure 
has meant reconciliation spread throughout the world. God has used the disobedience of many in Israel as an instrument of reconciliation for many throughout the world. This is a mystery revealed. But there is more in 11.12, Paul says, there is a time coming when Israel's fullness will be realized. He uses that word fullness. Uh, in 11.15, he says the same thing in different words. The time of Israel's acceptance is coming and it will mean, this is exciting, life from the dead. Greater riches are coming. No wonder this Jewish apostle is getting excited. He will burst out in praise to God in 1133 to 36. I want to attend to the text in 1125 and 26, understanding that there are many discussions about how to read and interpret these words. And I'll just give you what I understand by them today and leave them open for your discussion in groups and throughout the week to come. Paul writes, as he reveals the mystery of God's purposes through and for Israel and the nations of the world, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Um, what do we make of that? Many ways to interpret, many ways to understand. Here's my understanding after reflecting and praying again through this week and in years past. I believe Paul is saying this. The people of Israel, the nation of Israel, has been hardened, and that is temporary and partial. That has been evident in the history told in the Hebrew Scriptures. It remains the case as Paul proclaims the good news in the first century. Many, not all, from Israel are rejecting Messiah Jesus. This will continue until the full number of Gentile believers from around the nations of the world have turned to God and then there will be a large-scale turning of Jewish people to Messiah Jesus and this will occur before the end of the age and their Messiah will return. Paul's expectations for Israel are full, brimming full of hope, of confident hope that before the end of the age, before the Messiah returns, there will be a large scale turning conversion of Jewish people to Jesus. He supports his teaching with a powerful rendering of Isaiah 59, 20 and 21 and Isaiah 27, 9 in the text of Romans. So Paul teaches that there is a coming fullness of Israel. He also wants to reaffirm the continued privileges of Israel. He has overwhelming hope for the people of Israel. He also has overflowing gratitude for the ongoing privileges in which Israel stands. And here, here are two key words for me in this text, hope and gratitude. Gratitude and hope, which give rise to the overflowing praise in verses 33 to 36. What are Israel's 
ongoing privileges. Well, 1116, Israel is the holy root of the tree that is now God's people from all over the world. Israel is the holy first fruits of the harvest that is God's people. Israel is holy. 1124, Israel is God's cultivated olive tree into which Gentiles are being grafted. The nations are like a wild olive tree. God cultivated and cultivates Israel. 1128, God chose Israel and continues to love Israel on account of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the promises, the covenant um, um, promises of, of Genesis and, and, and beyond throughout Hebrew scripture. 11.29, this is great. God's gifts and calling to Israel are irrevocable. They have not been withdrawn. They have not been set aside. They are irrevocable. 11.30, because of Israel's disobedience, God has brought mercy upon the world. Israel, in a strange way, has been a source of blessing to the world, even through its disobedience. Israel remains privileged before God. Paul is grateful. He is from the tribe of Benjamin, and he remains grateful for God's privileging of Israel. Why is such recognition important for Paul? Well, here's the third point, the required humility of the Gentiles. In 11, 16 to 24, 27 to 32, Paul wants to make a point and this is particularly to do with the local and current now issue for Paul and the fledgling churches in Rome and across the first century Mediterranean world. There is strife between the Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ who are coming into the churches. And in particular in this passage, Paul wants to address and challenge and rebuke the Gentile disciples they are exalting themselves. They consider themselves, it seems, superior to Jewish believers in 11.18. They are being arrogant in 11.20. They are conceited and proud in 11.25. Imagine a, a young um, Egyptian disciple or a, a newly Christian family from Rome or Athens um, saying in their minds and to the churches, God has moved on from you Jews. We are now the favoured ones. We are the future, you are the past. You've been left behind, perhaps even left out. We are God's new favourite people. Egyptians, Athenians, Romans, Syrians, Philistines. No, says Paul. Gentile believers in Christ, remember this. God is both kind and stern in 11.22. You Gentiles have only been grafted into the cultivated tree that is Israel. Because of God's kindness, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God has been harsh on Israel in the past. He will be harsh with you too unless you humbly believe and trust in the kindness of God as Israel needs to do.
Don't presume on that kindness. You are not superior. All, both Jew and Gentile, depend solely on God's kindness, mercy and grace. There is no room in Christian churches for pride, for the exalting of oneself, one ethnic group against another. Uh, there is no room for conceit or pride. There is no room for boasting or division. One of Paul's favourite words in Romans, and certainly toward the end of the book, is the word welcoming. He uses it five times in the letter and in significant places, most telling. In Romans 14, 1, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. God's people are not unwelcoming. We're not quarrelsome. We're not there to pick on someone that we render inferior. We are not superior or inferior in the church. And wonderfully, in Romans 15, 7, Paul says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Uh, another favourite word in Paul, in Romans, particularly as the letter comes toward the end, is the word greet. In Romans 16, as the letter concludes, Paul uses the word greet 22 times in that chapter. Greet Aquila, greet Prissa, greet Mary, greet Phoebe, greet Andronicus, greet, greet, greet. When people meet us here in Springwood and in Winmalee, we are to be known in biblical faithfulness as the greeting community. Uh, we are those who welcome people, who greet people, who say, come in, I'll make you a cup of tea, sit and talk. Can we pray for you? We are the greeting people. Greeting and welcoming is a virtue, it's a habit, it's a practice, it's a distinctive of the church in Jesus Christ. The church is to be a community of greeting, a community of welcome, unified in its diversity in a miraculous testimony to the good news and the kingdom of God. Old hostilities and resentments are over. Greet and welcome one another with all your differences because of Jesus. Well, we have in nations such as Australia, I believe, and I have, had a skewed view of God and the church because we are largely Gentile believers. Our churches largely consist of people from Gentile backgrounds. We have wanted to, and I've got five terms here that I've been using for a while now, we have wanted to westernise the gospel, forget about its Jewish and Mediterranean origins, modernise the gospel, collapse the ancient historical times in which it is set, the times of Genesis 1 to 11, of Flood and Babel, and then of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the great story that unfolds. We have wanted to sanitise it, coll collapse and neglect the mess, 
the patience, the mercy, the grace of God in the face of human and then Israelite and national and international and individual failures and calamities that make up much of the text of what we call the Old Testament. Individualize and make it about me rather than God and nations and creation and minimize, remove Messiah, Yeshua, from his Jewish heritage and make him like a lone hero who steps out of the uh, modern world. Uh, this tendency to westernize, modernize, sanitize, individualize, and minimize the story of scripture, of Jesus, of discipleship, is very damaging to our faith, imagination, and prayer. We must not do that to the story told in scripture. A part of the reason why we do do it is because we fail to read the full scriptures. We fail to take seriously the Hebrew scriptures. We fail to love what is now known as the Old Testament, the great prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and the Twelve, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, etc. We fail to love the stories of Joshua and Judges, Kings and Samuel. Let's make a commitment as readers of God's word to love the full Bible. Let's have a reading plan. Let's immerse ourselves in the full texts of the full scriptures. Let's make a commitment to pray for Israel and attend to God's purposes for the people of Israel. Let's adopt a deep posture of gratitude that we have been grafted in to this remarkable story of grace and mercy, which began with creation and fall and then God's dealings with blessing to the nations through Israel. Let's recognize God's kindness to us. Let's be confident about God's sovereignty over history and the future. Paul teaches in Romans 11 that there is hope abundant for Israel. Let's watch, let's wait, let's pray, and for the nations of the world, because of the good news of Jesus, until the end of the age, before Christ returns, fullness is coming. And let's be a unified and humble church. Let's put aside all personal and ethnic rivalries. Let's let go of bitterness. We are one in Christ. Not only Jew and Gentile, that's fundamental, but other long-term traditional hostilities or resentments or rivalries, sometimes within our own small groups and sometimes between ethnic groups. Of course, of great significance in this country are the ongoing and unresolved issues between Indigenous Aussies and those who have come from other nations to Australia in modern times. These must be addressed in the light of the gospel of Christ and the purposes of God. Romans 11, 11 to 32 is wonderful, mind-expanding, imagination-forming text. It leads Paul to burst out in remarkable praise in 11, 33 to 36. We look forward to that text of scripture next week as this short series on Romans comes to an end. Blessings from God to the Jews. 
and the Gentiles. Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for your mysterious, purposeful sovereignty over history, over the present, over the future, until Jesus returns. Bless us with gratitude and hope in our days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.